Hello and welcome to Wired Podcast. My name is Leonardo Pasquale. I'm the head of training of Wired, a London-based wine training and event company. In this episode, rosé wine expert Elizabeth Garbe, master of wine, will share with us her view on this so-called rosé wine revolution, and she will also explain why Provence rosés that are on the shelves today are almost always very pale pink in color. So. Let's open a bottle of rosé and listen to this very interesting episode. So,、um, the title of the book, "Rosé: The Pink Wine Revolution." Why is I? Why have I called it a revolution?、Um, largely because rosé sort of come up from mind from being an. Unwanted wine. It seems to have taken the wine marketing world by storm. So it was a bit of a revolution that caused this.、Um, but I wanted to just first of all talk about、um, why we have、um, more than one style of rosé, because I think we all think about、uh, the pink, pale pink wine. This is a view、um, actually in my on my terrace. Of a range of rosés that I received tasting, and you can see from the dark, very dark pink on the left, going through all the pale, going to almost the onion-coloured skin wine on the far right, and mentally think to yourself, which of those rosés would you home in on, just from that photo, as being a quality wine? Uh, a lot of people will say they like the darker colour, but if they were coming to buy, they would go for the pale colour. And the more I talk to people, I realise that、uh, a lot of people don't really understand what they're looking for in rosé. And I get a lot of people who the first thing they say is, "Pale rosé, that must be the better wine. It must be the more elegant wine, and it's because it's had a short time in the press." End of solution. Everyone now knows about rosé. So, what I wanted to start off with here was just to say, before we carry on, what are we looking for in a rosé wine? It can be pale because of the grapes. You can have a gris grape, Sansovrolo, Tiberinck, Cadarca. Even Pinot can be quite pale.、Uh, in Provence, you can add white varieties. And you can have darker ones such as Pinot Noir,、uh, Petit Verdot, and Syrah. So before we've even done the quality image, we have to think about that colour indicating the grape variety. The tone. Remember, I said there were some more salmony colours, and there are some grape varieties which have more coppery salmon colours, and some which are more pink. And some grape varieties will automatically have greater We look、um, for slightly different regions, and the rosé that most of us will know will be from southern France, Provence or Languedoc, where Grenache and Sanso are the main varieties. And so, quite often, our benchmark for what we're looking for will be this Grenache Sanso rosé, round, ripe fruit, bone dry. Um, good acidity, but not high acidity, and that is our benchmark. And this is dominating a lot of the world of rosé.
But it hasn't always been like this. This is what we know of today. And I want to show you a photograph here that I took of Provence Rosé in the 1980s. This is what Provence Rosé was like 30 years ago. Dark. Um, you quite often got them in brochures. People would say things like, uh, describe this wine as a summer red wine. Not rosé. Um, it didn't last very long. It was bled off the reds. It lasted for the summer and then went a bit flabby. But this is what traditionally it was like. So you think it's in a very short amount of time that this revolution has taken place. So what happened? This is what happened. In the 1988, 87, Régine Sumer from Chateau de Barberol um, went to Chateau was friends with a Bordeaux producer who said, I am going to revolutionize my Bordeaux white wine and I'm going to put it in the family's old wine press, whole bunches to get a much more gentle white wine. Why don't you do that in Provence for your white wine? So Regine Sumer went back to her family estate and thought, well, I'm not going to waste this on my white wine because that's quite valuable to me i have some excess grenache grapes i'll put the grenache grapes in the family press the soft press and let's see what happens and she was amazed out came she said you can try it get a bunch of grapes in your hand and crush you get a bunch of grapes and you put it in your blender and you get all the torn up skin and pips and you'll get much more structure. But the hand crushed, the soft press crush, was producing a paler, gentler, more elegant rosé. So she took her rosé, called Petal de Rose, to the syndicat and said, I'm presenting my rosé. And Côte de Provence syndicat said, that's not a rosé. That's too pale. Nobody will want a pale rosé. And for three years, every year she presented it and every year it was rejected. And eventually she said to them, taste in a black glass, if you like it, can it have the appellation? And they agreed. So while we think now that this is the natural evolution, it really took a lot of effort from people like regimes who forced this idea of a, a pale rosé. The other thing that made an enormous difference was temperature controlled fermentation. Until the late 80s and 90s, um, Régine Sumer um, talked about having the fermentation tank with a big block of ice on top of the tank to keep it cool. Water, cold water being thrown over the tank to keep it cool. And they realized that if you could control the temperature of the tank, you could keep that elegant freshness. It went a little extreme. We ended up for a long time with tropical fruit rosé, um, which really wasn't so exciting. But this made a radical, radical difference in the quality of rosés that we were tasting. So all of a sudden, this revolution took place. And what happened? It did not come out of the blue. We did not suddenly have rosé absolutely amazing, pale, pink, fresh, fruity. 
The 90s was a period of trial and error. They tried with different uh, yeasts. Um, I remember there was a, a couple of years where we had rosé that tasted of bitter grapefruit juice, just to get that mineral acidity. Tropical fruit from being overly cold. The 90s really were erratic. And it wasn't till the beginning of the 21st century that we started to get consistency of quality. Um, but at the same time as this was happening, there were a large number of producers, large, 10, 15, but large in the scale of things, who were experimenting. They were putting rosé in oak barrels, they were doing longer skin maceration, and they were making quite niche products. So we've got the vast majority pale, fresh, crisp, clean, dry, and a few people on the side making interesting rosé. And then in 20, 2007, the EU launched a funding project for people to be able to promote their wine around the world. Perfect time for Provence. They had now mastered this crisp, clean, fresh rosé, and they got this money, this funding to promote it. And in 2007, you see this explosion in marketing Provence Rosé. Big, big, big time. And in, from 2007, around the world, you can see producers sitting up, kind of going, this looks successful. I can actually um, start making a Provence-style Rosé too. So Provence-style rosé started appearing around the world after 2007. 2007 was also the first year that Chateau d'Esclan launched its 80 euro Garros. And as you can imagine, the press just went absolutely crazy over this. This is a new a wine that is only just becoming consistently good. It has been advertised as the fresh, simple wine that doesn't need any intellectual wine cellars, vintage charts or anything. Big sales, and this man has the nerve to charge 80 euros for his wine. But what was interesting when I was researching the book, um, Chateau Desclans marketing says that they were the first to do this oaked rosé. But if you talk to some of the other producers making oaked rosé, they say, no, we were all talking together, but we never had the confidence to launch an expensive product. We were just doing our little niche rosé. So Chateau Desclans launched Garros at 80 euros with the implication that being the most expensive must be the best. It was never actually said, but it was a very good um, understanding. And on the back of that launched Whispering Angel. Whispering Angel is not from the same estate as Garrus. It is a Negocian wine run by Desclon Holdings. It is not Chateau Desclon, but nobody knows. So it's okay. So talking about marketing success, this is from 2017. Bulgari had a yacht party in Monaco and you can see the wine that has been served to everyone is Whispering Angel. 
uh, Whispering Angel, uh, Chateau d'Esclan is also a partner for a lot of the Monaco yacht shows. Their wine will be served at everything. And this just generates part of the luxury image. At the same time as all this marketing started for Rosé around the world, we have the boom in Instagram marketing. Uh, you can't, it's not very easy to get copies of the Instagram photos, but any of you who look at Instagram and you key in hashtag Rosé, you'll get the bikinis, the yachts, the people sunbathing, they're all 20-somethings looking very bronzed and very fit. And uh, Leona and I were joking beforehand because she has a pink jacket on and I said, oh, no, I'm not wearing pink because um, I'm, I'm sort of trying to break away from that image because one of the problems is I am not 20. And when I started researching the book, you know, I would come along and say, yes, well, you know, I'm in my mid fifties and um, I'm definitely not in a bikini and I'm not on the beach and I don't have the right image. I don't have an Instagram image for liking Rosé. So the, the, the other side of this revolution is that it was appealing massively to the wealthy yacht people with expensive Rosé. And on the other side, this fresh, simple, cool tank fermentation Rosé that was appealing to a young vibrant market that were looking for something quite simple and energetic, uncomplicated. They didn't want to know the details. So we ended up with this uh, imagery for Rosé. At the same time in the background, keeping your back of your mind, those niche producers who were experimenting with oak barrels and doing funky things, but not really marketing their wine they are still continuing but we have um, i don't know half i don't know any of these people actually but this was an illustration from an article about how uh celebrities making their own rosé and this is still going in fact in italy at the moment there has been this week a big uh, discussion Dolce and Gabbana have just launched a 25 euro rose which has caused an outcry in certain quarters because is it a 25 euro bottle of rose or is it a designer rose and a lot of these media stars Hollywood stars that are making a rose are part of this Instagram culture is part of the Monaco Yacht Club culture if you have a bottle on your table that is pale pink that has an association of yachts the beach the pool and beautiful people in hollywood rosé continues to have this big success and it is very difficult when you're a wine critic or a wine judge uh, leona and i judge together for a rosé competition where we judge the wines blind we have no idea which of the media stars we're judging. And last year we gave quite a low score to a very, very well-known wine, which may or may not have been mentioned today in this webinar. And the producer complained to the competition and said, I would like to query the quality of your judges because you didn't give our rosé a good score. And this is one of the major, major problems with rosé. 
it has this big success element in terms of sales, celebrities and imaging. But because those wines are not always as exciting as we would like, a lot of wine experts look down on the wine category. So when I started off writing the book, I did get people saying to me, why are you wasting time writing about rosé? You're a master of wine, it is not interesting. And to be honest, the celebrity rosés are really only interesting for me in terms of marketing with rosé, are those niche producers that in the past were doing some funky things and are still going. Okay, this is the depressing side. Over 50% and growing of rosé production is aiming at being pink, dry, Provence style. And every year that gets bigger and bigger. Uh, I talk to producers who say, we can't sell our traditional Negramaro, Zinomavro um, style rosé unless it is trying to be this pale pink style. So that marketing image is still continuing. It still has this very short summery season. So what is interesting is when I say things like, I live in the south of France and it's sunny today, I would say 90% of people respond and say, oh, so you're having a glass of rosé. It is part of our psyche now that this is what we think, it's hot and sunny you have a glass of rosé. Does anybody remember when it was hot and sunny, we thought of barbecues and a big red wine? That probably dates me. That is what we used to think of hot sunny weather and now we think of rosé. And the problem is there is vast differences in quality of rosé, pale pink dry rosé. And for a lot of people, the only reason they will select this, the rosé that they have is price, presentation and a Hollywood image or a, or a marketing image. Very few people, if you ask them, will be able to say what it is they like about the bottle of rosé in the same way they would for a white and a red. So big names, let's think of Provence. 75% of Provence production is negociant and cooperative, not small estates. 75%, that is quite a lot of a region. This includes Chateau Minuti, which is one of the biggest negociants, Whispering Angel and Rock Angel, big negociant wines. I think Whispering Angel was selling 24 million bottles. Chateau Minuti is close behind. Miraval. So Miraval is quite interesting. It used to be a small estate rosé, uh, well, white and red. Um, and when it was bought by Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and run by the Perrin, Without, they had less land because Tom Bove didn't sell all of the land, but their production went up. And everyone locally would be laughing, going again, where did you get all the more, where did all the extra wine come from? It's negociant and it's bought in. Mirabeau negociant, X is uh, negociant. And then you get a lot of estates that will have their um, chateau wines, but their entry level wine will also be negociant, such as by Ott. So they have their estate wines and then they have their negociant wine. So what does a negociant wine mean in terms of Provence? We have a Provence generic style. So Provence marketing is trying to look at taste of terroir and it's trying to do this generic style. 
2018 vintage, which was not so successful, the Negocians did brilliantly because they were able to blend. In Languedoc, Gerard Bertrand, who was a big rival to Sacha Lachine, this is war in America, you know, we're getting the millions between them, um, has premium rosés from his estate wines, including the most expensive rosé at 200 euros a bottle, Claude de Tompe, and his Negocian rosé for his um, lower, for his higher volume wine. What is interesting, read uh, reviews of rosés in America, a lot of the chateau names I've never heard of. I am guessing, because um, I haven't seen the back label, that a lot of them are from Negocian, but given a chateau name to give the impression that they are smaller estates. So if I go back to my varietal character, with the pale rosés, the colour tone, the structure, and saying that 50% or over of rosés are pale. This was the lineup of the prize-winning rosés tasted for decanter, which will come out in the July issue. This was the colour range. So this is where you have people, we tasted 180 Provence rosés, and we had some interesting colour variation and it was quite exciting to see that, I can't tell you who, which they are um, under embargo until the magazine comes out, but interesting to see that some of the darker rosés are beginning to reappear as an individual style, which is quite exciting. So where to next for rosé? Will we continue having this growth in the pale pink dry fairly a good quality but fairly unanimous um, uniform style. Um, I did an article fairly recently for Decanter. They wanted me to do premium rosés over £25. Incredibly difficult to find rosés over £25. It's a glass ceiling. So we had a few over £25, but the majority of wine merchants I spoke to said 20 pounds is often the maximum price people are prepared to pay for a rosé. So does that stop people investing and doing more wine, more exciting wines? Can a greater range of rosés enter the market? Food and wine matching, wine by the glass. As far as I can see this is very much a sommelier-led market. It needs hand selling, it needs people to have the confidence to try a rosé that is different and to recognise that if it is a dry rosé or an older rosé, it is still acceptable. What can we do if we're marketing rosé? Change the storyline. I actually managed on, I did it on Instagram, uh, I got my 24-year-old son, who's two metres tall with a big beard, he took a bottle of rosé up to the top of a mountain, 2,000 metres high, and we've got this rugged mountaineering image of real men still drink rosé. I don't think on my own I can actually change the image, but I would love it if more people actually posted photos of glasses of rosé in the same way that they would a red and a white wine, talking about vintage style variety would be lovely. Move away from this emphasis on colour. Um, there is nothing more dismal than people saying it's a nice pink wine, it must be good. We don't drink with our eyes only, we drink with the taste. Look at the vintage. Some vintages, some wines actually are released with a bit of age and show lovely complexity and lovely character. 
darker roses, um, roses aged in wood, gastronomic roses. There are so much more to it than just the pale pink. Finally, so at a dinner last December, I presented a wine which was pink. And because it was me that was presenting it, everyone went, oh, fantastic, isn't it lovely? And it was actually a Romato Pinot Grigio from Slovakia. Um, which goes back to is the colour right, but there are plenty of rosés um, which can be really interesting and can be natural and biodynamic, natural yeast, ambient yeast makes a totally different wine. Um, I've even tasted a Solera rosé where multiple vintages, almost a dark red, skin contact you know there are just so many different you can see actually my grammar on this slide has gone completely crazy because i was getting quite excited at the sheer potential of different style roses it's not just so yes yeah, so my conclusion is let's start looking at different colors let's start looking at different styles let's remember that you can spend a lot of money on marketing your glamorous rosé kit to getting wine writers and sommeliers looking at your rosé for being a serious wine. Is rosé dividing into two? Is it going to be the mass market commercial rosé and is there going to be a serious rosé as an alternative excludes the other? But I think there is plenty of opportunity for a much wider, much more interesting range of wines.